Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. If you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash fright day. Sam, 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 Sam. Hey, yes, Sam. Yes, Sam. yes. Do we have any swords? Why do we need swords? Well, I've just been thinking and I did some research this week and I'm wondering if we have any swords. I don't want to be here. No, they're not for you. It's okay. If you're giving me a license to buy swords, no, 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 great. Fright Day. This is episode 65. I'm your host, Byron. And tonight, after a short mystery shrouded wait, we descend into the bunker at 10 Cloverfield Lane. But before we hunker down, we head to Rainbow Valley, Arizona, where John Edmonds is currently waging war against the Greys. Yeah, has been for a while. In this week's edition of Kelly's Cryptids and Conspiracies, I'm joined tonight by Kelly. Top of the morning to ya. Not morning. Evening, All day. Right. And Sam. Hey, guys. St. Patrick's Day. Indeed. Tis upon us. I mean, I've never seen the Leprechaun films. Are they worth it? No, they're pretty bad. What about well, the Leprechaun time in, in the Hood? In the Hood, was that okay? With Snoop Dogg. So, Kelly, they portray this Leprechaun in a, in a rather negative light. Yeah, Leprechauns have gotten a bad rap for a long time. Everybody looks at them as drunkard fairies. Drunkard fairies? <laughs> are they not? No, they're not. Tell me what they are. Um... So they're, so they're actually, drunkard fairies. No. So they're fairies. It's just they have some slightly different attire that is specifically Irish in nature. But there are people who actually say they see them. Like uh Drunk people. No. Okay. A pub owner in mm. 1989. Okay. So definitely not. A pub owner, not. PJ O'Hare, said that he saw one. What was his take on it? So he was selling some land, actually. It just so happens he was a pub owner, but he wasn't at the pub. He was selling some land, and he found the leprechaun's clothes... And the bony remains of this leprechaun. So, like, the poor little creature had perished, apparently. So someone left their child in... No! No! Stop it! Oh, with it in a cute little green suit oh with brass buckles. God. And he put it on display in his pub. So supposedly if you go to this pub... You see some baby bones. No, they aren't... Stop it! Sure. There are some places, supposedly around Portland, where there have been some leprechauns seen. Uh, there's actually a little park dedicated to leprechauns interesting so in the 40s there was this newspaper reporter in portland who said he happened upon a colony of leprechauns and in fact the only colony in america you would think this would be in boston no see that's just stereotyping right there byron yeah you're stereotyping there's a lot of or chicago sure actually a census just came out and the highest percentage population of irish people in the entire country do you know where it is where butte montana what true story so anyhow in the 40s this guy he was a reporter dick fagan Fagan. Fagan. How much of that do I have to beep? Dick Fagan. Sure. He says that he saw a leprechaun actually digging a hole outside of his window and he captured it and he made a wish to get a park of his own. How about a new name? But the leprechaun tricked him and instead gave him just the hole in the ground as his park. 
there was a two foot long patch of ground and it became an official city park in 1976. And that's the center of Portland's St. Patty's Day festivities. It sounds like the leprechaun murdered his wife in a drunken rage and then no, dug a little hole for her. No, leprechauns don't do that. Leprechauns don't do that. Wrapped her up in a bath mat and tossed I mean, her in. Seriously, though, they date way, 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 way back. Like in the 1830s, it's where this visual of a leprechaun supposedly emerged. But short being dressed in red who wore a cocked hat. Wait, red, huh? Yep. The most interesting thing about leprechauns is there are no female counterparts. Like leprechauns in true Irish folklore are inherently male. So how do you, you know, never mind. Yeah, actually, that is a question. There was no record of how they procreate. So I guess they just mate with other fairies that aren't leprechaun fairies. I don't really know. But some fairy researchers believe that leprechauns are actually like the rejected offspring of fairies who were like defective children. Because of their shape and disposition. And so then they were banished to become leprechauns. Onward and upward. Anyhow, hope you find your pot of gold. All right, not a thing. Hope you find your baby bones. It's not baby bones. Stop Are you that. sure? Yeah, yes, it was I'm a baby sure. corpse. Um, God, you guys, it's so disgusting. Stop so it. This is some kind of awesome news that just came out of South by Southwest, Ooh, which what you got? we are not at, not you at. will notice. Super depressed. Yeah. For you guys, we decided to stay here and podcast. Mm, Tote. Worth it. Eduardo Sanchez is teaming up with Blumhouse to release a new film called Sevenfold, which is about all anyone knows about it. And it is a micro-budget feature that will be produced by Blumhouse. It's Eduardo Sanchez's first movie in a while. Since exists? Since exists, yeah. That's exciting. I know we're not watching movies in the Alamo Draft House in the beautiful city of Austin, Texas right now, but did you have a chance to watch anything else this week? I did. What'd you watch? There was this movie that I've been wanting to see for a while called The Mirror. I've seen The Mirror. Have you seen The Mirror? I have. It's like a found footage British Oculus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sam, of course, mocked me and goes, oh, just because I love you, I guess we can watch this. That, his voice changes every week. It's it incredible. does. Yeah, now I'm like a drunken, <laughs> some sort of inbred joyride hillbilly. His voice does change really frequently. All right. He has lots of personalities. Anyhow, it was much better than even I thought it was going to be. And even Sam had to admit that it was pretty darn good. Very creepy scenes in it. A wonderful amount of blood without too much to be ridiculous. And it showed just enough to be scary without showing so much to be ridiculous. I don't think there was any CGI. Well, I mean, I guess part of it. CGI? Computer graphic imaging? I? I? E-Y-E. Oh, I like ball. Yeah, that's okay. Eyeball. Hey, don't worry about it too much. Like that part at the end? Sure. All right. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it was good. I don't know, Byron. If you saw it, I didn't realize you'd seen it. I Tell have me seen what it. You thought. I didn't like it very much. I thought it was no. kind of boring and a little bit repetitive. I'm surprised it had a hot chicken and I thought you'd dig it, Byron. Yeah, oh, the, she looked nothing like Shelly Duvall, though. So that's I guess... true. If she doesn't look like Shelly D in the late 70s, I don't want none of it. I wanted to strangle the guy that started acting weirdly and yeah. wouldn't let him see the video. I just wanted to beat him until he didn't sleepwalk anymore. So I guess my, my problem with the movie is that they didn't do much to try to help him. Well, there wasn't much they could do. Well, they didn't call anyone. Well, yeah, when he couldn't see, I thought it was weird that when he went blind, they didn't like didn't go, go to, to the like doctor. a doctor. Of course, they did say tomorrow, if he isn't better, we're taking him to yeah, the doctor. Yeah, but how about right now? If I yeah. 
if I went blind here at your house, I, I mean, I'd take you to the doctor, but I'm a yeah, panicker too. If, I if, would panic too. If we woke up and your eyes looked like that, I w- the last thing I would do is spend any more time in an apartment with you. It is a fine found footage film, though. I don't want to say. Yeah, I, I think was, hated it. Especially, it, it had to be very low budget in within oh, those constraints. Absolutely. I think they did very well. And then we also watched uh, two Aussie films. You're going around the world. We are going around the world. We watched Crawl Space and Dying Breed. Ooh. Yeah, Dying Breed, I just happened upon, I think it was on Amazon, maybe? Fun. Um, had Lee Wan L. And so it was easy to talk Sam into watching it because Sam loves Lee Wan L and it was an old school one. And, and Sam loves cannibals. Well, I was not going to spoil it, but I guess that's probably the only way we'll get you to watch it. I love eh? a good cannibal flick. You do, like the cannibals. It was the cannibals? I mean, it was pretty interesting. It was fun. There there were two couples in it. It was kind of a standard horror flick in that respect. It but reminded me a little, bit of, a little bit of Wolf Creek. Okay. Kind of more Hills Have Eyesy for me, but it was cool. It's rooted in an actual Australian legend, which is kind of fun. Yeah. The- Pie Man. Pie the, man, pie the, man. The legend Peculiar is the purple pie man this, from Porcupine Peak. All right, see, it's good. The legend oh. is that this crazy convict known as the Pie Man escaped from Van Diemen's Land, which is Tasmania. Uh, he escaped from the penal colony there in the to join up with the other prisoners. Yeah, exactly. Something. on the on the main island in this movie. We explore what actually happened to him and his ancestors. That sounds fun. And was that on Amazon as well? You guys are always finding all these gems on Amazon. Yep, I'm gemming. Mining for gemstones. All right. Gemming. That makes sense. I'm gemming. This brings us to another movie I wanted to talk about called Camino. Camino. Okay. Yeah. Nacho Vingalongo. Yeah. Is that, did I say that at all right? Can uh, I just say he was a really freaking good actor? Really? He was really, really good in well, that he movie. He was great in time crimes. He was. I've been wanting to see Nacho in front of the camera again, and it looks like you had a good time? Yeah, I did. It was directed by Josh Waller, written by Daniel Noah, who are two of the principals of SpectreVision, mm. which we're very excited about. Yes, and love SpectreVision. Yeah, we had a, a chance to visit with them. I think we have an interview when ways we, back. Yeah, when we were talking about the boy, right? Yeah. Yeah. It also has Zoe Bell. Stunt actress. Stunt woman who may be most familiar from the Death Proof segment of Grindhouse. Oh, you hear that rat? Yeah, this tat, is tat, coming tat, down. Tat, Sorry, tat, tat. this rainstorm oh, just kind of stormy. It's exciting. Yeah, it's atmosphere. I'll turn off turn off the campfire noises and, and let this rain just rain. slide on in. All right, Byron just made many more hours of editing for himself. No, it's fine. It'll be good. So on paper, it's a standard jungle survival escape, but it really excelled at what it did. Nacho is fantastic he is such a despicable unbalanced villain yeah um just really great super convincing and zoe bell is just a really kick-ass um i don't know if it's not really a horror movie so i don't know if you call her a final girl but heroine protagonist she does what she does and kicks ass i really enjoyed this movie um again it's outside of our wheelhouse a little bit but all of the principles involved with it are... But she um, had a good jolt at some point. Yeah, it's absolutely. Kind of... There's some gruesomeness. And All right. and I, I think it, it bears discussing because the people involved with it are so instrumental in independent horror today. And I think we actually have an interview with Nacho that's going to be up at FrightDay.com pretty soon here. Yeah, it'll actually be a, a written interview because he is on location. Very exciting. I can't wait to watch that. When does it actually come out? March 4th. March 4th. So it's out. Yes. So everyone can check that out. That's awesome. Yeah. But but you, Byron, you, what did 
You see. I watched, uh, oh God, we are just not even a horror podcast anymore, are we? I watched a TV show called The Family. Okay, I'm just going to throw out there that I'm a horror podcast because I watched The Mirror and The Mirror was yeah, definitely yeah, yeah. horror. Sure, sure, sure. Do you guys know anything about The Family? No. No. I've been looking forward to this because I, I follow Allison Pill on Instagram and she's been really pushing this. She's one of the, the co-stars. Uh, it follows the return of the mayor's young son who was presumed dead after disappearing for over a decade. So he just kind of walks in to a police station and they're like, uh, who are you? And he goes, I think I'm him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have seen previews for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredibly brutal stuff for network TV. Really? Yeah. Not only was he potentially kidnapped, the mystery is still wildly spiraling at this point, but he's got some severe scars on his back. A lot of this crazy serial killer. And he doesn't remember any of it. No, he remembers stuff. He was just very traumatized. He says stuff like, when the man was on top of me, I saw the red dragon breathe. Breathing. And then the, the the detective that's working the case is driving out by where they think he was found. And they see this plant with red lights and like a lot of smoke. Oh. It's incredibly interesting. It, it sounds kind of like uh, True Detective-y. It does. It is a lot like True Detective in tone, but for network really? TV. Right. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. I love it. And I think Alice and Pill does a great job. It stars Zach Guilford as well. He was in Devil's Due and The Purge Anarchy. Oh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of horror. And Allison, of course, is in Cooties and she's the teacher in Snowpiercer. Okay, so tell me this, though. When is the whole series going to be out or the whole season going to be out? Because I really can't start until I can plow through something. Is that right? I, yeah. They put out the first two episodes. They launched on a Sunday and then put out an episode on Monday. And now I'm not sure exactly what schedule. So. Okay. Three episodes out. I really like it I, I think it's a fun all show. right sam let's let's mark it down all right and also tv real quick bates motel is back it kicks off really crazy i don't know how they're gonna sustain this level of norman's psychosis i don't know if you guys pay norman, no like i them. need to watch it really great show incredibly fun but yeah things are starting off real crazy and i know that they said they're gonna end it the fifth season but still I don't know much of the lore of the original Psycho, but at some point he has to get the hotel, right? Like he has to run it. Yeah, that's true. And he's uh, he's not doing well. That's all. It is interesting to me that you're into the show without ever having seen Psycho. I've seen Psycho. It's just okay. n- not not to a point where like I would really remember. There was gotcha, a lot gotcha, of gotcha, pre-horror gotcha. Byron where I saw stuff without using a critical eye. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, that's okay. That's all right. Sometimes that's a better way to enjoy things, you know? Sure. I did watch a movie, though. What? That I really enjoyed. The Aggression Scale. Ooh, I don't know anything about it. Interesting. Yeah. So I've heard a lot about this movie. It's from Stephen C. Miller, who you may know as the director of Silent Night, that movie we watched for Christmas this year. Oh, yes. Yes. It's really well-directed, beautiful movie. Really? Once again, gosh, it's not necessarily a horror film, but it's got a lot of horror elements here. When out on bail, a mob boss played by Ray Wise. Oh, love Ray Wise. You know how we feel about Ray Wise. Of course. Love him. Love him. He discovers that $500,000 of his money is missing. So he sends out these hitmen, one of them played by Derek Mears, who is Jason Voorhees in the Friday the 13th remake. Oh, okay. They send them out to make a loud and messy message for these suspected thieves. So the opening starts out with them going and taking out a bunch of people in very extremely brutal ways. But when the killers invade this house... Uh, They find this family as they're just moving into this new house because they're on the run from these mob people. Uh, The family doesn't know anything, but what we do know is that the son, his name is Owen, has a very violent history. Apparently, 
they use the money that they borrowed from the mob to send him to a hospital. He gets kind of helped out, but turns out that he kind of helps out the family quite a bit with this uh, aggression that he has. He's like the highest <laughs> level of aggression in some sort of uh, like chart. So he's just a big ball of murder. Oh my God, it's incredible. He got expelled because he made all these crazy booby traps and like blinded kids at his school. Ruh-roh. So basically it's it's like Home Alone, but extremely violent. It's 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 a blast. I'm really glad I found this movie. Where did you catch that? I purchased it. I actually had to go on Amazon and get this on DVD. Oh, okay, cool. It, I don't know if it's streaming anywhere, but I've been I've been wanting to see this for a very long time. Yeah. Well, crazy. Super Ray fun. Wise is always worth the investment. Every time. Mm-hmm. And Stephen C. Miller has been super crazy busy lately. I went on his IMDb. He did that submerged movie about that limo that yeah, yeah. That yeah. we saw the trailer for. But he also is working on this movie called Extraction and another one called Marauders, both which star Bruce Willis. And they're both coming out this year. Should hmm. be exciting. Also saw The Veil. I don't know if we need to talk any more about that. But Well, I don't know, Byron. Do we? I did bring it up, I guess. I probably should say something, right? You probably should. Like, how did you like it? I didn't like it as much as you guys. I'm sorry. That's it, weird. And I'm usually a big found footage guy. Well, I mean, you're not as big a found footage guy as I am, but. And you dig the supernatural. I don't hate the supernatural, but it's not my favorite thing. And once again, I just have to say you have to keep your cults and your supernatural separate. No, you don't. It's really cool when you fuse them together. Don't like it. It's too much. I liked it a lot. Remember Last good. Shift? I didn't like The Last Shift. I liked Last Shift. I really liked The Veil. Everybody listening should watch it, okay? I guess there's no reason not to. It is on Netflix. But Kelly, it is that time. Mm-hmm. You know I'm talking about the time where you would explain... Stardust Ranch? Yeah, which is not to be confused with a brothel by the same name in Nevada. Oh, interesting. And a little sexy. And one man's war against the Greys? Yes. In this week's edition of Kelly's Cryptids and Conspiracies. You bet. Kelly's Cryptids and Conspiracies. Up until this point, I had worked really, really hard, I would say, over the last decade to put to rest the childhood fears I had of greys appearing at my window and replace it with knowledge that greys were mostly benevolent little creatures and probably the worker bees of other aliens and nothing really to concern myself about too much. But then I read about John Edmonds and his experience at Stardust Ranch. We're going to start at the beginning of his history. And before Byron and Sam jump on the bandwagon of trying to tell me that this guy's crazy, I want to make very clear some things about him that would lead me Can to I believe. Jump on a bandwagon that, no. Okay. John Edmonds is a retired therapist. His lifelong dream was to buy a ranch and to rehab rescued horses. So injured horses, abandoned horses, kind of the same way. Is he a human therapist? No, he is a human therapist, but he really loves animals. Okay. Okay. He bought this ranch in Arizona in the Rainbow Valley, which apparently is 20 miles from Phoenix. And it's almost like in this bowl shaped area. So it's surrounded by quote unquote mountains. Not really like we call them mountains here, but you know. Big hills. Yeah. And he's in the middle of it, like in the middle of the bowl. Cowardly mountains. Right. This nice guy starts this ranch. He's going to be there. His wife's there. And they are doing really good work. They are rehabbing dogs and horses and macaws. Wait, what was the last thing? Macaw. Macaws. The, the big birds that talk? Yes. Oh. Like from the tiki, 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 tiki room. In the tiki, 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 okay. tiki, tiki, tiki room. That's plenty. Okay. He buys this place and they're moving in. 
in the backyard, there is a pool because it's Arizona. So obviously there's Everyone's a pool. got a pool. Well, you got to if you're going to survive. Everyone's got a party. Well, and not die of heat stroke. Weird thing is all of the possessions of the previous tenant are piled up in the empty pool out back. And so he asks the real estate agent what the hell's going on. The real estate agent doesn't know. They eventually move everything out and basically have it taken away because these people never come back to get their stuff. Super weird. But in the process of this, he sees this weird guy on the property, looks kind of like a transient. He confronted John Edmonds and said... I live in the shack back there. So there's the shack on kind of the edge of the property. And John's like, okay, well, we just bought it. So you you don't live there anymore. When I meet people, I usually begin the conversation with, I live in that shack back there. Yeah. Well, so this guy clearly had some issues. And those were further revealed when he starts saying, well, you're going to be sorry that you sent me away. And he pulls out a machete. Okay. Tells John that he's the only one that knows how to keep the monsters away. And John's like, what monsters are you talking about? And he tells him that there are aliens on the property and that he's the only one that knows how to kill them. Obviously, John thinks this guy is completely insane. Says, hey, well, if you want to go back and get whatever things you have in that shed out, he's like, no, nothing there that I care about. And he just wanders off mumbling about how John's going to be sorry. I mean, it's like a movie scene, right? Like a sure. pretty cool movie scene, the guy with the machete. Real quick. What is what does this property look like? How is this man out there in a shack? It's a big ass ranch. Yeah, and it's not in a town necessarily correct okay so john's like well that was weird okay assumes the guy's nuts but shortly thereafter he starts realizing that maybe this guy wasn't quite as crazy as it seems or maybe he was crazier than he seems so he and his wife started witnessing black triangular objects over the property almost immediately dating back to 1999 there are reports that he filed about these things that they saw on the property Now, the interesting thing about this is the first time that he saw them in 96, shortly after they moved in, was actually before the Phoenix Lights incident, but it was describing almost exactly what was witnessed at the Phoenix Lights incident. So that's kind of cool. I mean, and that's it's interesting and corroborative in many ways, because obviously he wasn't the only person that saw things like this in the Phoenix area. There is a very specific report that I have the text from that he filed in 1999, talking again about these triangular objects. And he talks about blinking out at a distance of 800 feet Um, The glare of the object was so bright that he could not discern a shape. They kept appearing night after night and sometimes would appear in groups and sometimes would appear solo. So this is weird enough in and of itself, right? But pretty soon, actual alien creatures start appearing on the property. And they appear to be coming through what John Edmonds refers to as stargates or portals. Now, this may sound weird, but if you if you remember... I, mean, I don't know, Sam. Does it sound weird to you? Mm, not, well, no. You guys, if you remember Skinwalker Ranch in Utah, when we did a report on that, there were also portals seen on that property that people, including security patrolling that property, would see creatures crawling out of these portals. Now, it's a similar thing that John describes on his property. He says sometimes they'd be like big enough for a car to drive through. Other times it'd be big enough for like a huge jet to drive through fly through i suppose sure this is weird enough i'll give you that then the grays start appearing actually in his house like borrowing sugar well actually there is a story about them rummaging through the fridge and taking eggs oh i was really close you were actually surprisingly close close. alarmingly so he's this big animal guy right and there are a couple times where horses that have been close enough to these creatures or to the triangular objects start dying 
One night, three Rottweilers attacked a gray in their house. And obviously the Rottweilers thought the gray was threatening them. Kind of tore the gray apart. Then the gray disappeared like into thin air. Within a week, all three of the Rottweilers had died basically almost withered from the inside out is kind of the way he describes it. So very, very creepy, but really horrific. And when you think about it, this guy is clearly doing some really, really good things in his life. So for him to be just making all of this up doesn't seem like a viable solution to the situation in my mind. Mental illness? Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about this. I actually don't think that's the case. Great. So back to Skinwalker Ranch for a second. In fact, if you guys remember the billionaire Bigelow, that owns Skinwalker Ranch? Yeah, the guy that's sending up the spacecraft. You bet. You bet. So he and his agency spent close to a month studying Stardust Ranch. They interviewed John and his wife, did tons of videotaping. They also apparently had corroborated analysis by the CIA and the FBI. Essentially, Bigelow's team then left with the evidence and hasn't gone any further than that. But that's also kind of in line with what we're hearing about what Bigelow's team might be up to. There was another group that tried three times to bring a research vehicle onto the property. And every time they got within a certain distance, literally everything would break. And they tried it three separate times and finally they had to give up. So that's kind of weird, I think. So here we are, this poor guy. He's having all this weird stuff happen. He's invested his entire retirement into this ranch. He now has all of these horses. At one point, they had 100 rescue horses that they were taking care of on the ranch. So, Sam, you can, you've can you been around horses. And oh, that's what a like, f***ing nightmare. Yeah, so it's, it's a, a lot. lot of horses. But, like, what a nice dude, right? Like, he's a good guy, clearly. Can he handle that many, though? Because, I mean, crazy cat ladies are, quote, right, good people. Keep in mind but... that he's rescuing people that have had, like, crazy horse people that haven't taken care of their animals. Okay, I'm so, just trying to really get a clear picture of who this guy is. So he is a good guy and he hints, so he has had some kind of military experience though. We do not know exactly what because he's actually a very private person and has very begrudgingly I mean, this has been going on now for 19 years. It isn't as though he's trying to be the center of the limelight with this. This is something that he's finally getting to a point where he wants to report on because the small bits of reporting that he's done in the past haven't led to anything being solved on his property. And I think ultimately that's one of his goals here, or at least was for a long time. This is his retirement dream, and he clearly doesn't have money or the ability to suddenly pack up 100 horses and move to another place, so they're kind of stuck there. But here he is, Grays are attacking he and his wife in his home, and so he has to defend himself. Now, a lot of people have mocked and ridiculed the manner that he used to defend himself, but we're going to have some weapons authenticity reporting from Sam, because I actually think there's some logic behind the weapons that he's choosing. Sam's weapons authenticity report. Their house is brick. Okay. If I'm not mistaken, if you're in a house made of brick and you start firing a gun, there is a significant possibility that those bullets could ricochet. Is that correct? Um, bullets can ricochet off of a body of water sure if it's can. at the right angle. A higher likelihood of ricocheting if you're firing bullets in a house made of brick. Um, maybe. It could do other uh, things, too. Yeah, secondary projectiles, I think, could be the real damage, like big chunks of masonry and brick blasting off. Well, I guess I guess bottom line is, if you lived in a house full of bricks and you were trying to defend yourself inside that house, would guns be your first line of defense, or would you be looking Absolutely. to... Absolutely. What about the ricocheting and the chunks of projectiles? If there was a lethal threat to my life and to my family's life... Secondary projectiles and ricochets would be my least concern. I mean, you saw The Matrix. 
They're blowing those marble pillars away. They weren't ricocheting then. That was pretty awesome. Pretty I don't know that that was very accurate. Anyhow, point is, he's concerned about his animals getting injured and his wife getting injured. So Maybe he's not sense. shooting a gun. So this is why he takes two things like a samurai sword and nunchucks. Wait, what was the last? Nunchucks. Nunchucks. Huh. Yeah. I started with nunchucks because uh, I thought, you know, that'll work. And... Actually, they work pretty well, but what's a nunchuck? I don't even know. It's a martial arts uh, weapon. Okay. Uh, two sticks with a chain together, or okay. put together with a uh, leather cord, and they're a very effective ancient weapon. And they actually work pretty well because they're quiet and they can do some real damage. So, do you throw them at the alien? No, no. you just bop them with them. You hit them with them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, or you... What is the alien doing when you're hitting them or stabbing them? They're that close to you that you can well, do that? Well, see, this, the, the thing about it is this, that's a bit strange, and that is that I had a very severe head injury in 1973, and I had uh, some long-term damage to my skull as a result of it, and apparently the fear, you know, you always hear about people going through fear paralysis, it doesn't happen to me. And they don't know it a lot of times. And so I can just kind of pretend like I'm being affected. Oh, all right. And then when they come to try to lay hands, they get the big surprise. Oh, really? Yeah. So um, I've experimented with a lot of things over the years. I mean, a can of hairspray with a butane lighter. I'm not ready for that one. Huh. And I know you guys are really jumping up and down to ridicule this guy, but the reality of this mm. is his wife was an FBI agent, Ooh. and that has been verified. He does have a master's degree. He had a long career as a therapist, and he's retired in Arizona. He, you can tell by the way he speaks, he's not you know poorly educated. Sure. But do we know who his sensei is? He doesn't have a sensei. Okay. Stop making fun of or, him. I, I just have to say, I think most people that were at one point boys have experimented with nunchucks and it's gone just horribly right in the face if you're lucky maybe he is very skilled in a lot of ways intelligent and he knows how to bop a chuck oh my god okay here we go it gets pretty ramped up this conflict with the grays in his house and it gets to a point where they are physically attacking he and his wife in fact, one night attempted to abduct his wife to, to take her out of the house. He ended up firing on them at that point outside the house with an AK-47. And they did drop her and she was okay. But inside the house, he's still not willing to use guns. And so one night he Melee takes, weapons. takes out a samurai sword and basically slices an alien in half. Okay, so so is this at night when this is all happening? Well, the 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 one the really severe one that I was actually able to run one through with a sword uh, on the patio out here, the porch, sun porch, whatever you want to call it, uh, that actually happened in full daylight. It was um, about five forty-five p.m. and it was still sunny, so that wasn't at night. Okay, and the one you did with the sword when you were propelled to do that, was that in defense of your dog that got injured, or was that a... No, what happened, this is part of the same episode. I literally was walking through those doors to go out there to take the dogs out, 
And lo and behold, there was a gray right in front of me. Oh. And so I came back through the doors, grabbed the sword, and ran out there and just stabbed him and got him. And he didn't leave. Well, that was the thing. I think I kind of caught him off guard. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I literally ran the sword directly through the midsection and literally got so close that I was probably six inches, maybe eight inches away from the face. And, I mean, I literally heard a hiss come out of this thing, and I, I could actually smell it. And when I pulled the sword out to go back to try to take the head off, uh, it just disappeared. But there was a uh, There, there was, was a big solution. piece of tissue on okay. the end of the sword from running him through. It was about right. the size of a grapefruit, okay. a ruby red grapefruit. And um, a bunch of fluids came out, and they mm -hmm. kind of drooled out on the floor, and they were on the door. And, Let me say the oh. size of a grapefruit? Yeah, size of a grapefruit. I just don't know how flesh looks like that. It's a ball of flesh. It's just a size. It, I mean, it, it's like, you know, so like, it's like a four or five inch chunk of flesh. Flesh, okay, that makes okay? sense. So he sends it to this biophysicist named W.C. Levengood and her assistant Amanda Nimke, and they actually have done tons of testing on cattle mutilation sites in the past. And Byron, you're going to get a kick out of this. They actually were used for crime scene evidence investigation on Unsolved Mysteries. Really? Yeah. So this guy, Levengood, he was actually on Unsolved Mysteries doing crime scene investigation and oh, testing. I miss it so much. I know you do. So obviously this guy is you know, perhaps a little bit fringe, but not crazy because, you know, he's being used for some pretty mainstream things. And he has been verified. I've actually seen on a couple blogs where people have said that he perfectly good scientist. He essentially reviews the evidence, says that it matches perfectly with blood samples that have been taken at cattle mutilation sites in the sense that the blood itself is very, very, very abnormal. An unknown presence of something. Well, he said the blood. DNA didn't match anything in this world. And the only thing that it matched was what they had taken at other cattle mutilation sites. And that's interesting. Why, why is it that the genetics of the cattle that become mutilated also become altered? I don't know. Or it could be that they're leaving back their own DNA there. I don't really know. But so apparently, and please bear with me because I am so far from a, a biologist or a chemist, it's just embarrassing. Well, but, you're a cryptozoologist, which kind of combines the best of all those disciplines. Well, no, it's its own science. It's completely separate. Okay, it appears to be that there's a pure hemoglobin that has segment rods in the blood um hopefully to one of our listeners that will mean something more than it means to me but leaven good sends him the preliminary report and it kind of looks like segmented grass except it's not grass the blood is very 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 strange so part of his report said numerous samples have been collected under correct forensic technique also just so you know Edmonds has sent this off to other independent labs. All of them have come back with the same result, that the proteins in the samples could not be identified. It was unlike anything they had seen before, either plant or animal, including human. Essentially, as soon as he gets this preliminary report, Levin Good says, well, I'll be sending the rest of the material to you. And then radio silence. Nothing. There's nothing. And then Levin Good dies. Oh, no. Yeah. What was the cause of death? Do you know? I do not know. So Edmonds was really frustrated that he hadn't heard back from Levengood, and he actually posted Levengood's mailing address for people to reach out to him. And 
people apparently on Edmund's behalf started reaching out to him. Nobody heard back, but then suddenly he turned up dead. There is not a ton of information other than it appears to have been unusual circumstances, but there isn't a lot of info. And this has happened like in the last four or five years. Um, So again, this has been going on for 19 years at this point, but most recently that's when some of this has been stepped up. Back with poor John. The only evidence that he had been able to collect has been submitted. Now, there's this guy who, I hate that this is the name he goes by, but it is the name he goes by, so I'm just going to have to. This guy's name is Daryl Sims, and he calls himself the Alien Hunter, which I realize is ridiculous, but John is desperate at this point, and he has Sims come down to collect some samples. Apparently, using black lights or other lights is able to find residue of some of these violent encounters on the walls in the master bedroom, master bathroom, halls, and other locations in the house. Isn't Stardust a former brothel? Okay. Did you you miss that part? Obviously, you weren't listening, were you? I I, I said not to be confused with the brothel in Nevada (laughs) of the same name. So he did exactly opposite that. Dick but I wanted, but I wanted, I really wanted to talk about the stains on the wall. He got though. confused. Oh my God. I, I am hate listening. You. I promise I'm listening. Okay. So the fluids that are left behind are kind of clear and a little bit oily. All right. Um, mm. They're easy to see on a surface like a glass door, white drywall, but really tough to see against like a naturally exposed brick wall, which is what most of their walls are. So when Sims comes in and is able to. You know, with I think it was a black light. It doesn't. You really use luminol and, and check out. But he takes. He took tons of information from John, from his wife again. Basically, said that now he has to do a ton of really expensive lab analysis. He suggested, so he told um, John that he needed this twelve thousand dollars to do the additional testing. John's like, well, I don't have twelve Wait, who grand. Said this? The um, Daryl Sims, the alien hunter, the alien hunter. He's like, I need John more said, money. How about? We appear on coast to coast to report the findings and ask, you know, to set up a GoFundMe or something like that to see if people will fund it because I can't afford it. The guy just completely ignores him. Coast to coast reached out to John and John's like, I don't have it. This guy has it. And obviously, Coast to Coast knows who Daryl Sims is. Um, But again, complete radio silence. And he has no idea why Sims has, I mean, other than that he wouldn't pay the money, but why Sims is bowed out. Because Sims knows he's busted. Well, so what's really interesting about this to me is if you watch the interviews with John, it is really evident that he believes this 100%. And for those of us who've watched the most recent season of X-Files and who have talked a little bit or heard about my report on Dulce base. Mm -hmm. Extensive report. It's pretty extensive. And ultimately the conclusion I came to, spoiler alert, was... That probably a seed of what's been told about Dulce is true and the rest of it's government planted misinformation. Yeah. Now, I, after reading and hearing all about what's going on with John, would not be surprised at all to find out that he and his wife are victims of some really malicious disinformation plants. Yeah, that was a theory I had when I heard that she was a former FBI agent. Yes. They're at least decently close to the source and... I do not think that he's lying in any way, shape, or form. First of all, a guy that's nice enough to foster injured horses and injured dogs and injured birds is not some asshole that's going to go around slaying aliens and trying to be the center of attention for something as strange as this. Sorry, I just it just kind of occurred to me, like the aliens were having a really rough go of it. It's kind of like 
John Edmonds is Sidney Prescott and the aliens are Ghostface. I mean, they just get beat to shit All the using time. everything that comes to hand. Well, I mean, that kind of is what he's doing, but I don't blame him. I guess what I've come to the conclusion of is because he seems so genuine to me, there are two options. Either this really is all happening and, you know, who knows? Crazy stuff happens. Uh, as we know, there are a lot of things out there that we don't understand. Or he truly believes it's happening and it's actually being planted in he and his wife's brain, kind of similar to what we heard on X-Files, right? Sure. You know, that a lot of this is is being made to look like aliens when in fact it's just our own government. So I think either of those are viable possibilities. The most recent series of interviews that was conducted by this woman who is part of something called Project Camelot, she conducted two interviews and it gets a little bit into spiritual energy and things like that but it talks a lot about the aliens and she was about to talk about her cats at a couple points that was <laughs> she seemed like she, she has a lot to. of cats she might have some cats yeah. she discussed the uh, what had happened to john at the end of 2015 right before she came out there had been another group there that actually caught some really interesting photos of actual grays on the property now john was very very cautious to say i did not witness these myself when the film crew was out wandering around the property, they captured this. They saw it. I did not. But these pictures are consistent with what I have seen. And have we seen them? Yes. So we're going to have those photos up. Byron, if you're you're acting like you'd like to see these. I mean, I don't need to see them right now. And I'm actually, I don't think we should put them on FrightDate.com because then the government's going to know that we have these photos. No, it's well, okay. I don't want to be targeted any more than we are already. It's okay. And I, they'll be in the show notes of this episode at FrightDate.com. So I'm kind of keeping up on this because I'm interested to hear what will happen next. John was on Coast to Coast in January of 2016 and did just kind of a one hour report on what's going on. But it was more of a summary of the history. It didn't sound like there was anything spectacularly new. I just think that it's interesting that there's documentation going back at least 17 years of this 19-year history that he discusses on his ranch that shows it isn't some short game, get-rich-quick plan that he's come up with. This is obviously something he's been dealing with for a very long time. I think the man is very credible. And like I said, that's why I think that really the only two viable solutions are that it's actually true or that it is being planted by the government. Well, hopefully we'll know more soon. Yeah. I have this little dream that maybe someday we'll get to interview John Edmonds because I'd love to talk to him. Well, let's reach out. Now that you guys have mocked him on our show, I don't know that he's really going to want to, but... Uh, I don't think we mocked him. I think we implied like that he has... shooting my dreams in the head, guys. ...severe mental I, illness. I don't think we mocked him. Not at all. You know, I became Facebook friends with him in hopes that I could actually interview him. <laughs> oh, things are serious. So, yeah, that's Stardust Ranch, everyone. Kind of a cousin of Skinwalker, perhaps related to Dulce. It's all connected, everyone. It all ties back together. Are you okay? I'm good. That was a good one, Kel. It's been a short time coming, guys. Has it been a short time? Well, it's only been two months since the announcement of tonight's yeah, feature film. Where did they announce it first? Was it? Oh, sorry. I'll get into that, Sam. Good sorry. question. Let's talk about Ten Cloverfield Lane. you're enjoying your visit here this evening now on with the show 10 cloverfield lane is a 2016 american sci-fi thriller directed by dan trachtenberg this is his directorial debut 
and it stars Mary Elizabeth Winstead, John Goodman, and John Gallagher Jr. Sam, can you tell us what this movie's about? In 10 Cloverfield Lane, a young woman wakes up after a terrible accident to find that she's locked in a cellar with a doomsday prepper who insists that he saved her life and that the world outside is uninhabitable following an apocalyptic catastrophe. Uncertain what to believe, the woman soon determines that she must escape at any cost. As I was saying before the break, the first trailer for this film came out January 15th. And today it is March 13th when we're recording this. So was that part of their marketing strategy? Like, don't let anybody forget about it. Let's just get it out there heavy and fast. Oh, Byron's going to tell us. No, no. I mean, I don't know much. I I was listening to an interview with Dan and J.J. Abrams earlier today. I mean, they mentioned the difference between how they were marketing Star Wars and how they approached this film as well. The nothing is everything and the everything is everything technique. I think it was pretty effective. It exploded. Um, Especially on the internet. Yeah, on social media, horror nerds were just, well, okay, we were excited. Yeah, they they were releasing tons of little things that didn't give away too much at all. Like, I don't think anyone knew exactly what we were getting into from this trailer, which is very much appreciated and very different from the way pretty much everything is marketed these days. Yeah. True, um, true. It's so much restraint, which is a kind of a ballsy move because you are contending with a culture of constant leaks. You know, you don't want the wrong part to get out. So you, I guess, show the bits and pieces that you think are going to build the most buzz without blowing it. But at the same time, you have to be worried that someone's going to just tease or, or give away something critical. No one knew anything about this movie. It had been under production, uh, I think, under the title of The Cellar or something similar to that. But yeah, no one knew that this was a Cloverfield movie. And I mean, honestly, the original script wasn't a Cloverfield movie to begin with. They took something that no one knew anything about, but it was small enough that no one needed to know anything about this movie, which is a great way to approach a a sequel like this. Like, I I don't know how much the original Cloverfield was, but it was a huge film. And the marketing budget uh, was had to be just tremendous for that. And they saved themselves so much of that to put directly into the production on 10 Cloverfield Lane. They did very strategic things when releasing trailers as well. They dropped the, the trailer officially before 13 Hours, which is that Michael Bay film. Oh, about uh, Benghazi. Yeah. But then after that, they paid for the uh, season premiere of Walking Dead commercial as well as a Super Bowl commercial. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of money in that. That's that's very true. I forgot the scope of the... <laughs> The, the few venues that they chose. But it's so strategic and so effective. Those are the audiences that they... Well, I I guess they covered all their audiences because, I mean, Walking Dead is the number one TV show in yeah. America. Right? And, and that's not even for horror people. Everyone no. watches The Walking Dead. But we do know that in the Venn diagram of people who would see this movie, it's a lot of the people who would enjoy The Walking Dead. Yeah. The Super Bowl. I mean, everyone's watching the Super Bowl. Yeah, either you're watching it for the sports or for the commercials. You didn't watch the no, Super Bowl? Not, like, not any of it. That's completely okay. I don't. I, I still don't know who won. This is all just talking about the promotion leading up to the movie, right? Which definitely bears discussing. Uh, instead of continuing this conversation about the marketing for this movie, I'd like to take a quick pause and talk about the trailers that I missed. Oh, I thought we were going to talk about the movie. No, I no, we were no, getting we're, the we're movie. getting there. We're going we're gonna to get Blah! there. Honestly, everyone, I'm really sorry. It's fine. I felt I really... Was, you know what's funny is I was sitting there and I was... 
feeling a great deal of empathy for you because I'm yeah. like, I guarantee you, Byron is stressed out of his oh, fucking God. mind right now. About what? About being late. You should have seen me. He was losing me. his mind. You I just knew it. Me. First of all, quick little side tangent. Saddest thing I'd ever seen in my entire life. In front of me, this young girl, she was going to Deadpool alone, but she, she was only 17. She wasn't 18. So they turned her away. She was this like dorky girl that just wanted to go see Deadpool. Are you fucking serious? Did you buy her a ticket? And I thought about it, but I was already 25 minutes late to 10 Cloverfield. Doesn't matter. So Being I, the nice which is, human which is actually only more. two minutes late for the movie. Itself. I guess. Did I only miss two minutes? Uh, not very much. Okay, good. Well, I'm sorry. Who denies? I'm a bad reviewer. Well, you missed the accident scene in the beginning, which was pretty I heard big. it was brutal. It was, it was a really good accident scene. Cool. And it rolled the credits into it, which I thought was pretty cool. Oh, man. Well, but I apologize to the listeners. I was running a bit late that's all right don't apologize to us did you see any trailers that that need to be talked about no nothing nothing new everything we've already seen yeah and it was all i mean it was like divergent and okay uh yeah it was crap it was like dumpy and dumpier this isn't necessarily a horror film i was hoping for another hardcore henry oh no i disagree i think this was every bit as much a horror film as i mean i i would classify this as as kind of dark sci-fi it is definitely sci-fi. All I'm saying is I didn't expect to see like the new Rob Zombie trailer at, at the yes. 10 Club yeah, and, Lane, and a PG-13 sci-fi film. If you weren't expecting it, then you would not have been disappointed. Great. Let's get into the actual movie. I'm sorry to drag this out. I just love talking about theatrical okay. horror so much. Kelly, what do you think about this movie? So, I mean, it was interesting because we saw it with two people who had not seen the first Cloverfield. And I shouldn't call it the first, but I should just say well, the original Cloverfield. Blood relative, they're calling it. Yeah, yeah. So I think that their experience was a little bit different than ours. The whole time during the movie, I'm like, okay, when are they going to tie the other movie in? When are they going to tie it in? And there were little pieces where you find out like, oh, well, this happened and that happened at the same time that this accident happened. Mm-hmm. And so the pieces start to tie together. Pleasantly surprised by the acting. Uh, the actor who played Emmett was also in one of my all-time favorite shows, The Newsroom. John Gallagher Jr. He was awesome. I thought he did a great job. He played a very, very likable fella. He's good at that. He was a very likable guy in Short Term 12 as well. Oh, I don't know that you one. You should check it out. I Brie will. Larson's in it. Ooh. He brought a very kind of homey, yeah. comfortable... Well, added a lot of heart, this yeah. movie, honestly. It felt... Now, Byron, Sam got mad at me when I said this, but I want to know if you felt the same way... There was a tone about this that felt a bit like Shyamalan to me. You think? With the the heart and almost it was like genuine, the, the like, moral, like uh, very character driven, human. Like, yeah, very, very, very human, and also very much like there's some backstory here that you know she kept hinting at, like, oh, in my life, you know, I've always just run away rather than facing things. It was very much like a a hero's tale that you would hear in a Shyamalan movie where it's all building to the point sure. where she can actually reveal herself as an actual hero. These kinds of films where they have that sort of building, it's all just skillful directing where they don't hand you the pieces or at least not all of them at once and they all kind of fall together naturally. And yeah, no, I agree. The the pacing was incredible. For me at least, I was never sure what direction it was going to go. I felt that that was different than uh, Shyamalan because I feel that those are very artificial, obvious, heavy-handed, like a wizard did it moments. Okay. But this I felt very naturally 
kept you on the edge of your seat about whether it was going to go the one way or the other way, vacillating back and forth um, very effectively. And it holds on the moments. And it, it's super uncomfortable at times. Oof. Very tense and very uncomfortable. It's almost like on the borderline of acceptability of tension at certain points. Like it doesn't let up, but it never like pushes it over the line where you would go into the horror realm where I, you're like over sensory overload. I do agree with Kelly, though, that just in terms of the tension it is almost like a, a more muted, toned down martyrs. Okay, but yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the constant intensity clearly, it's it lacks the the extreme oh, nature absolutely. of martyrs. But uh, just in, in terms of every revelation turns the screws, you know, a little bit deeper. And I think we all went into this expecting a mystery. Honestly, I've been listening. My my friend Mike Falzone has a podcast called Cloverfields, which is. Uh, a lot about like the secret things that they put in the trailers. There's apparently this game. I know I mentioned it probably earlier in a couple episodes. There's like a real world game that is going on that has to do with what actually is happening in the movie. Really? How does, do you have any idea about how the game works or what the (sighs) goals are? I, I was following a couple of the things. There's this soda that John Goodman drinks called swamp pop is that what it was called the, yeah the orange soda. he made it they made it look really delicious they did i agree <laughs> it's a real thing that you can purchase in reality and if you buy mm. the certain kind that john goodman had it shipped with puzzle pieces which are the puzzle pieces that were missing were from missing. the puzzle inside of the movie oh wow and it just that's continues cool. on from there like that's fun that's apparently really fun. john goodman worked for this company i don't know the name of the company but it's one of the same companies that the main character from the original cloverfields was moving to japan to work at there's all these like really wow. crazy things i like don't know easter eggs that are so deeply embedded that no rational person would ever have a chance of just picking them up <laughs> absolutely and i mean if you are that's at cool. all interested in any of this i say check out the cloverfields podcast oh that man. sounds like a how great does, podcast how does falzone get this info they did this, a similar thing for the original film in 2008 and he was a part of it but there's like forums everywhere reddit forums and all these different crazy websites about the games uh, revolving around cloverfield that's super cool I love things like that. That's awesome. Thanks for the tip, Byron. Yeah, check it out. Speaking of details like that, I don't want to spoil much about this movie. I think a major shoe drop that was my favorite moment in the entire film. Yes. But we're not going to talk about that at all. Right? (laughs) Yeah, that's torture. Something amazing happens in this movie. Yeah, that's fair. Very shocking. I I hate that you just use the word amazing to describe it, but okay. Uh, Well, God, you guys are so freaking. It's funny because we actually talked to another person who's not a horror fanatic, but is a loyal listener. And she reported being blown away by that scene. Oh, good. I did feel a bit ashamed. I was there on a date and I looked over to see the reaction on her face. And it was mortified because she's a human. (laughs) Very different from the smile on my face. Right, right. But yeah, incredible moment. The way they attacked that moment audio wise as well. Probably the most effective scene I've seen all year. Unreal. So cool. How do you guys feel about the fact that this didn't follow the found footage footsteps of the original Cloverfield? The original made me so fucking sick when I saw it in the theater. Just at, like nauseous sure. that I'm not a good person to review the movie. That's fine. It's it's interesting. Do you think that new found footage films are shot different or are we just used to it? I feel like that one was... Inc- okay, it was a combination. I do feel like it was incredibly unstable. Um, Kelly... Is that you? It looks like you. It's you. Okay. 
very unstable, which fit the movie. I mean, it was constant action mm-hmm. of the on the cameraman's part. But uh, we were watching it in the. I think it was the first movie we went to when the the large format screen opened in our town, and we got there late and had to sit really close. Oh, okay, that makes sense. So, that was not that was me. me. I dropped a baby toy. You I did. Apologize. Yeah, no, that I, I actually watched the original in preparation for this podcast. I didn't find it as shaky as the complaints would warrant. Well, you know? it's only it's not bad when you're watching it on a small screen. Sure. If you're watching it on a big screen and you have no other uh, what do they call those visual points that you can tie to to keep your yeah yeah your center balance. It just, it's so vom-inducing. Yeah, the the fact that this is not found footage, I think, really opens up the world. Like, it allows so many more directions for this franchise to go. Well, just the idea that now there's a whole other storytelling venue, um, you know, that goes beyond the found footage. Because you're pretty limited there. A lot more options with the kind of semi-omnipotent camera work that was used for 10 Cloverfield. And I think they could easily, if they do another film, they could easily bounce back into the found footage as well. Or even do a combination of the two. I think very much so. Yeah. Kelly, you're a good man fan. Yeah, he's good. What'd you think? I thought he was amazing. He did such a good job in this movie. He did such a good job of playing a creeper. And And there were definitely some Big Lebowski references. I bounced back and forth throughout the movie between wondering like, okay, is he really a good dude and he's just loopy or is he a bad dude? And I thought one of the best parts of the movie was how long it kept you guessing along those lines. This movie doesn't give you anything. Yeah, which is at great. At least not with, without working hard it's at so it. so imagination yeah, based. Mary Elizabeth. Oh, she was very good. Lover. I, re- I know you do. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> she, Stop it. She's so good in Faults. I don't know if you guys have seen Faults yet. No. Incredible film. Highly recommended. And it's streaming on Netflix. She is going to blow up, right? Am I, I alone right. in this? Absolutely. Right. I, I don't know if she's technically the final girl. <laughs> sure. Again. Yeah. But she was one of the absolute best strong female leads that I've seen recently. I mean, she kicked ass. She was resourceful. She was bright. She was so determined. She was tough. Just a really, really likable character that you really could get behind, which isn't true with some of the protagonists in other movies that we've watched where you just don't really care. Love it. True. True. Beautifully shot. Incredibly claustrophobic. Yeah. We, it seems like we use that word a lot, but now we're using it about a bunker. Yeah, so a fallout shelter. So <laughs> it actually was. Yeah, everything about the way they shot it, they hit all these really fine details. And uh, going back into the Cloverfields, when she's crawling out of the vent, they pan down to an envelope, which is actually to the place where John Goodman used to work. Hopefully, this is released in HD streaming or on Blu-ray, where there's enough resolution that you can actually pause it and look at some of the, I should say, the provisions that the bunker is stocked with. I mean, the, the movies and the books and the magazines and I bet there's just a lot of stuff buried in there. That brings me to a question I wrote down, kind of a dumb one, but what what movie would you keep in your fallout shelter? I know he mentioned that he had some VHS cassettes. Oh, I love it. And yeah. DVDs. I thought that was really fun. Yeah. They were watching 16, no, Pretty in Pink. Yeah, Emmett thought it was 16 Candles, but it wasn't. Yeah, it was Pretty sorry. in Pink. Yeah. Apologies. What would you what would you what would you watch? What would I watch? Yeah, if you had one. Only one? I only yeah. get one movie? That's it. Drive. Drive? Or the beach. All right, you get one. Which one? 
mean, I really, and one of the reasons I pick both of those is because I really like the music in both of those in addition to really liking the movie. So I don't really know. Um, I would pick one and then make Sam pick the other one, I guess. Oh, you would force him to pick the beach? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, I guess I would have to pick the beach because there would be no way to get him to pick the beach. And like, he could pick drive. Not my favorite of, yeah. Um, I mine. I would have to say Return of the Jedi. That's a good pick. Oh, that yeah, would well, be a good what one. What about you, Byron? Guys, you can never beat the great American classic. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Which I totally agree with. I just went with something a little longer if you're going to okay. have to watch it a lot. That's true. Let's, but I, it's a great choice, though. Let's think of something with a fun soundtrack. Let's go scream. It's great. Okay, huh? that's good. Red Right Hand. That. I could listen to that. Yeah, they've got a good soundtrack. Absolutely. I don't know what else we should talk about. I don't want to ruin this for anyone. I did, so this isn't ruining anything because okay. it's been talked about all over. And we just talked about, you know, the movies down there and They're in, the, in the, bunker. the bunker. Yeah. Everything is so like an old guy that's not oh. in touch. Put it together. I mean, just fucking get an iPod and, and a Kindle and have 68,000 books and all the music and have it take up okay, six okay, square hold inches. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, though. What year did Cloverfield originally? 2008? Yeah, so back then, the options weren't nearly that big. Okay, I mean, that's reasonable to say, but I that's definitely true. had an iPod. You don't need a Kindle. As, yeah. And also, I mean, he was an old man. This is an old man cave. Yeah, he's very obviously been focused on one thing. Well, yes. And not on staying hip with the technology that us young trendsetters are so engaged with. Well, yeah, but keep in mind, the technology in 2008 was different. Different, different, different. different, that's, different a, that's a valid point. No spoilers, of course. Nah, because there are some huge bombshells. Kelly, final words. And could you rate this on a scale of 1 to 10? Yeah. Uh, super fun movie, especially in the realm of theatrical horror, which we are so often ready to critique i'm very excited to say the last two now that we've seen sitting in a comfy theater seat with really really delicious popcorn in our hands have been fabulous i would say especially as i you know as i mentioned because this feels a bit shyamalani to me and i have a soft spot in my heart for the man i would give this one a solid seven six i agree with everything that's been said this movie was fun it was tense it kept you guessing until the last possible minute don't read anything about this don't spoil anything for yourselves before you see this movie that would be my one recommendation it looked great sounded great the acting was well above its budget yeah absolutely phenomenal personal note the audience was great, huh? which never happens to us, I ever. actually felt like we were the bad ones this time because of all the candy crinkling. I wasn't candy crinkling. Sure. What, are we not going to smuggle candy in? I had a box of dots. I, there wasn't anything to crinkle. I was just shaking raisinets all day. Oh, were you? Yeah, okay. I was being bad. I am going to give this movie a 7.0. Uh, Cloverfield, where was I in 2008? I don't know, but I definitely saw it in the theater and it definitely grabbed me and so did this movie it's incredibly claustrophobic it's a tension tight rope walk and I, I really appreciate that this director even though it's his first time he let the audience put the pieces together in a very natural way and it, that's an incredible skill to have uh, Goodman's Unreal Mary Elizabeth get out of town but don't please because I love you <laughs> I give this an eight. I really, really had a great time. Maybe it was the panic I had going into it that continued through the film from being late. But yeah, I love this movie. I think it's great. And I think everyone should watch this now. Don't spoil 
this for anyone once you do. Please don't. I agree. And that's our thoughts on 10 Cloverfield Lane. It's, whoop, whoop. it's in a theater near you. I guarantee it. And once you do watch 10 Cloverfield Lane, let us know your thoughts. At Fright Day on Twitter is the best way to get in touch with us, right? Or you could just leave a comment in the show notes of this episode below. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, and while you're at it, go to FrightDay.com for all the cool trailer news. You yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Mm-hmm. If you do like this show, this program that we put on every week, and you want to help it, be better? Why don't you pick up something spooky at shop.frightday.com? I would. Yes, yes, yes. Please don't do that. Uh, or you could go to patreon.com slash frightday where you can have access to exclusive content like a monthly hour-long episode of Kelly's Cryptids and Conspiracies. I'll say Captain. I'm sorry. Thank you. And I would love to hear what your thoughts are of that, Patreon patrons. I really enjoyed myself. It, Malaysian Air Flight 370. Mm-hmm. Don't know what we're doing this next episode, but it is coming soon. So you might want to hop in there to have access to that. And we also hang out before the shows. Hang out with us. That's another cool thing that you get when you help us out on Patreon. But can, mo- what? Yeah, what was that? Continue. What was that? Nope. But most helpful of all. Just leave a review for us on iTunes. It's the best way to get us in front of new eyes and up the charts or on the charts or something to do with charts. I just know touch it's them. Just let us touch them, please. These people did just that. Oh, E. Adeline says, love the podcast. I found Fright Day about a month ago and have been marathoning the podcasts ever since. The reviews and banter are great. And I love Captain Kelly's spooktacular segments <laughs> on cryptids and conspiracies. As do we all. Highly recommended and keep up the great work. And then, uh, ooh, don't know how to pronounce this. Alcarid? Alcarid? Is it, it A L C U A R D? A L K A R D? No, I don't know. Okay. He or she says five exclamation points, followed by, I don't listen to any podcasts but this one. I recommend this to all my friends and anyone who's even remotely interested in horror. High quality production, too. So thank you so much for oh, those very kind wow. words. I that really made, appreciate that. Yeah, that was nice. Because Byron works really, really, really Guys, hard at that. Plenty. And don't. he does a great job. Thanks so much. Good but work, B. More importantly, thank you guys so much for listening. I wouldn't want to do it if it wasn't uh, for you guys. Kelly, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me at Kelly Friday on Twitter, or you can email me, kellyfriday.com. And what do you like to receive in your email boxes? I love ghost stories. I mean, I, honestly, I love anything that I get from our awesome listeners, but ghost stories are my absolute favorite. I got a couple this last week that I'm so excited to tell. Yeah, and what do we use those for? We use them for tales of terror. Kelly's true tales of terror. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Which is a special we do. You, you know that, that Byron adds that in production. You don't need to do that. Definitely do that. Don't need to do that. Yeah, where can we find you on the internet? I am on Twitter at Sam Fright Day. Email me, sam at frightday.com. And I'm at Byron McCoy. Byron at FrightDay.com is my email address. And until next Fright Day, I'm Byron. I'm Kelly. And I'm Sam. Stay prepared. Stay prepared.